If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Lembit Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to the Lembit Opic show where we kill the spin, find the facts and tell it the way we see it and encourage you to do the same on the tntradio.live uh, feed uh, lots of chat going on there at the moment do get involved you can also find the phone numbers if you want to call in to the show you're most welcome to do so uh the great thing about this show is that we're not trying to sell you anything but we do share our opinions and flag them as such rather than dressing up our views as facts we're not into propaganda we're into debate and there is no better person to proceed in that debate than my next guest, and that's Paul McGann. We'll speak to him in just a minute. Before we go to him, though, I want to highlight a rather peculiar situation, a potentially embarrassing one, from my old party, the Liberal Democrats. Ed Davey is the leader of the party. I used to share a suite of offices with him. And for those of you who are not in the United Kingdom, Ed Davey was a government minister for a while when the Liberal Democrats were in coalition with the Conservatives about a decade ago. There's a huge scandal in the United Kingdom about the false accusations and criminalization of people who worked in the post office sector. Uh, they were accused of fraud, of stealing money. Well, it now turns out that Ed Davey, when he was a government minister, was responsible uh, for interactions with the post office, and he refused to meet the whistleblowers, the very people who a decade ago were saying that something was wrong with the way that they were being treated. He's kind of apologized now, but it's a bit late, isn't it? Now, I don't dislike Ed as a person, but it seems to me he's representative of a whole herd of politicians who want to change their tune to make it sound like they really care about the postmasters and the sub postmasters who were accused and actually found guilty and actually who some of them paid back money they didn't even owe just because that's where the mood is uh, with my previous guest nick cotton we were talking about expedience in british politics how politicians seem to blow in the wind and parties too i think this is an example of that what i really want from my politicians is the strength and the gumption to stand up when other people are telling you to shut up i'd rather have a wrong speaking politician of principle than a right-speaking follower of fashion. I want to know that the people who serve us, and I will tell you this at every occasion that I can, because they are our servants, the people we pay to serve us as politicians show a principle and a commitment to doing the right thing as they see it, rather than sounding like they're trying to work out what sounds like the right thing and tell us that. Why have we got to a situation where there is so much fashion in how British and I would say American politics uh, is behaving? Well, my suggestion is it's because we now have a political class that cares more about being in politics versus achieving some particular outcome. If I'm correct about that, we live in a dangerous age, my friends, because we have politicians who will alter what they say to carry on having the opportunity to say it. They'll stay in Parliament first and alter their principles second to achieve that first priority. I don't feel comfortable about that. I don't like the idea that we have these virtue signaling twits 
who will talk about a climate crisis because they're convinced that that's going to win them votes. And then they quietly forget it and move on when it becomes too expensive. That's pretty much what the Labour Party has done. Keir Starmer junking his flagship policy for a green revival of our economy, which he's now thrown in the bin a couple of weeks ago because it was too expensive. He was right to junk the policy, but he was wrong to herald it in the first place because it has practical consequences on our standard of living. So also, it seems to me, as Nick Cotton, my first guest, pointed out, we have wars which are more to do with making our political servants look good, at least in their eyes, than it has to do with the right thing and to ensure that justice is served around the world. I wonder what you think about this. Do we now find ourselves cursed with a political class that doesn't really know right from wrong, a political class that's willing to compromise its commentary in order to sound right versus to be right? I suggest that the great malaise in Western politics across the last half century is the decline and fall of great leaders, not all of whom I agreed with, and their replacement with apparatchiks, with middle managers who can fairly efficiently go through a box of letters, but have no real capability to sell a philosophical narrative. It's all for sale, and the currency is votes. In this year, we will have a general election, probably in October or November in the United Kingdom. I wonder if this will be a battle of ideologies where on one side you have the old parties, Labour, Conservative, Liberal, Democrat, and on the other you have the new nascent parties, Reform UK, uh, some other parties as well, who will act as a rallying call for those of us who think that it's time to reclaim our democracy, the democracy we pay for, and the democracy that is no longer serving us well. Perhaps you are more optimistic. Well, let me know. Go to the tntradio.chat and you can find us there tntradio.live chat sorry and you'll find us there uh you can also phone in and share your views if you're in politics i'll give you a free run you don't have to agree with me to be on the show that's the essence of free speech an essence denied by much of the old msm that's mainstream media but certainly cherished here at tnt radio uh, as i said before we've got Paul McGowan, a very free speaker, another troublemaker, and somebody who's had direct recent experience of the British Health Service. He's going to be with me in a minute. All of that from the Lempotopic Show right here on today's News Talk TNT. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Paul McGowan, it's been a while. I asked this question knowing the answer. How have you been? Hello, my people. I have risen from a long term in an NHS prison. <laughs> I've been all right, Lembic. It's been a nightmare. It's nice to be back. You've got to be be wearing my voice a bit. My voice wavers a bit at the moment. It's just all the meds I'm on. But, but um, you haven't, I'm sure I'll get. You haven't been fine. all right because you've been in. You haven't been fine. The reason you haven't been on for a while is because you were rushed to hospital to accident and emergency. Tell us what happened. That is. Well, that is correct. Well, what happened was I fell down the stairs trying to, on a mission, trying to take an unused box of Christmas decorations up to the attic. And I went right down the stairs, balancing stuff. And I 
hit the bottom of the floor and I've got an old house, stone floors with oak laid on the top. It was like hitting concrete and um, black, not broke my nose, black my eyes, smashed all my ribs. Smashed all my, we, I didn't know how bad I'd smashed all my ribs. So anyway, they took me to hospital because um, I knocked myself out. They ambulanced me there. So they're going, oh, you've got a lot of broken ribs, it looks like there. And I'm going, yeah, I can feel them. I've broke ribs before. I know what it's like. And um, they sent me for an X-ray and a scan. They stuck me on morphine and um, admitted me to hospital. So I thought, right, oh, what a nightmare, what a nightmare. But right before Christmas, I'm going to have to just deal with it. But it was agony. Um, and then in the morning when the shift changed, I had a nurse come to see me. No, it was a doctor come and see me. And she said, um, Mr. McGowan, we've looked at your scans and your x-rays. And you actually haven't broken any ribs. What you've done is you've detached the muscle from your body. And it's that's what's creating the pain. And they gave me two big bottles of morphine and sent me off on my way. And I'm ecstatically happy thinking, oh, I haven't broken my ribs. I'm really happy about it. So I came home and I'm thinking, and you could hear my ribs crunching, you know, you could press my ribs, you could hear them. It was like, the, I've never, I'd never broken them as bad as that before, ever. And um, yeah, I'm thinking there's got to be something wrong here. But eventually when the morphine wore off my two big bottles of morphine, it was unbearable. And I was, I was choking a lot. I had a lung infection. So I went to my doctor's. And they said, well, if you've had a scan and an X-ray, you haven't got broken ribs. Here's some anti-inflammatories and on, on the way you go. And it took me ages to get that appointment. So anyway, it carried on getting worse. It got to the point where I couldn't breathe of a night in bed. I was, I was sleeping, sitting upright. So it was so bad, I had to go to a different A&E. So I went to a different A&E, and they didn't have an X-ray machine or a scanner. It was only a small local one. And the nurse there said, you've got a lot of broken ribs and you've got a bad chest infection. I'd get back to the doctor if I was you. So I managed, and it was, took me a long time, took me over a week to get another doctor's appointment. I went in to see another doctor. And the first thing she said to me was, I'm not giving you any more morphine. I said, I didn't even ask for any more morphine. Didn't ask for it at all. And she goes, no, you've had an x-ray and a scan. You haven't broken your ribs. So... Here's the crunch. I carried on literally the crunch worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So I what's the crunch? So I carried on getting worse and worse and worse till I could barely breathe. And I went to stand up out of bed one night and my my right hip just collapsed and I fell down onto my knees and I couldn't get back up because my ribs were all broken. I'm trying to get back up. My one leg, I couldn't do it. So I had to ring an ambulance when I was on my own. My daughter had just left earlier on in the day. And so I was totally on my own. I thought, God, what am I going to do? So I rung this ambulance. I managed to get downstairs. I had to go down the stairs on my bum, you know. So I'm getting down the stairs. And I got on a walkie stick and I opened the door for that ambulance man off the latch. Ambulance man came in. He goes, wow, you've got loads of broken ribs. I went, I know. I know I have. I know I have. So they read, and I could hardly breathe. So they flashed me down right um, all the sirens running to Bath A&E, the hospital that told me I didn't have any broken ribs. So basically, they sent me for another scan and another x-ray. <laughs> they come back with results. I had broken 
every single rib several times and my sternum. By this time, because I could only shallow breathe, I could, I could only, I couldn't take a deep breath. I hadn't been able to take it for weeks. The infection had really embedded itself in my lungs. And at first of all, I thought, all right, I've got a lung infection, all breakfast. They admitted me into hospital and they took some a scan and x-ray of my hip as well. What's going on? So um, when I was in hospital, I just started swelling up. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And my skin was splitting where I is swelling so much. I'm thinking, this is nasty. Um, maybe more serious than what I originally thought. So they sent me off to have some exploratory um, surgery to look around my body, took some samples. Now you had to grow it in a putrid disk to find out what it was. Well, I had actually developed um, staphylococcus in my lungs, a version that was just incredibly hard to to kill with an antibiotic basically and they and, and i and we don't know how long i'd had it i could have picked that up straight after breaking my ribs or, or i could have picked it up recently so i'm sitting in my hospital bed one day this is after they get the results from the beauty just what it is and they uh, the specialist and a team of doctors come in and they said, Mr. McGowan, we've got to tell, we have to act now and we have to act fast and you need major surgery and it's going to be brutal. And I'm like, oh, crap. But on this, I'm on a fentanyl machine by this point. So when you're on a fentanyl machine, you're, you don't think straight. And I, you know, so I was just like, you know, let's get it done. It's got to be done. And so I had like, I had no fear of it or anything like that because I knew it had to be done. So they take me down straight away and i go in at nine in the morning into surgery now it was six hours nearly i was in surgery six hours being operated on um went through loads of blood bags um and when they brought me around it, i've never woken up from surgery i've had a lot of surgery i've never woken up from surgery like that i mean i did not think i was going to make it i i just didn't think i was going to make it it got to the point um, when they was trying to revive me, it got to the point that the nurse was holding my hand and I was going, is it time to call my children? That's how severe it was. It was, I actually did not think I was, for, about, for the next week, I didn't think I was leaving that hospital. So when they managed to stabilise me eventually, they took me to a different ward that I was in before, in private room with a nurse's station outside. I thought, oh God, that's never good. That's not a good sign. So they stick me in there. I get there. And as all the epidural is wearing off, um, obviously all the pain is really starting to kick in because they had to cut a lot of flesh out of me, a lot of muscle out of me that had all been infected from this staph infection. And the pain was unbearable, but they didn't sign the charter to administer me drugs in this different ward and it had to be signed. And there was one doctor on and it was an emergency. So I had to go from around about, um, well, from when I woke up, when no, when I left the, the theatre, when I lost the room, the room where they bring you back round, all the way to seven o'clock in the morning with no drugs until they eventually brought in a morphine machine to attach me to. And I tell you, I, it was unbearable. I've, I've never, it was my worst NHS experience ever. Hold that thought. So we'll come they, back to that. Wait, wait a minute, Paul. We'll come back to it just after the break in a minute. Uh, I'll just tell you, uh, and I'll read the actual messages out to you in a moment. 
but you're getting a lot of sympathy from uh, our viewers. Uh, and I'll read some of those messages. When we come back, I want to understand how you got from death's door back to today's news talk, TNT, because something must have gone right. So don't go away. You're listening to The Lemotopic Show. We're listening to Paul McGowan, who's a great friend of the station, who actually faced death. And uh, he's come back as well. I'll also tell you what he said to me at his darkest hour. It's an amazing thing. You'll hear all of that in just a moment. See you after the break. TNT's Steve Malsberg. I've said that she is a selfish witch and that she's abusing her elderly husband so she could remain first lady. I've been saying that for a long time. That she ought to be ashamed of herself. But she's not. She played second fiddle to Michelle Obama for eight friggin' years. Michelle Obama hated the place, could not wait to leave the White House Mm -hmm. so she could go make millions writing books and selling non-existent shows on Netflix, Yes, which is fine. And that's what you do post-presidency. Yeah. Jill Biden could not wait to live in the White House, and now she does not want to leave. Yeah. I could not agree with her more. I've been saying this over and over and over again. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Welcome back to the Lembodopic Show right here on today's News Talk TNT. We've got Paul McGowan, who's been through the wars and through the wards in uh, the NHS National Health Service in the UK. Paul, uh, just before the break, you were still in absolute agony in your tale. What happened next? Well, what happened? First of all, I'd like to say that the the doctors and nurses were absolutely brilliant the second time round, not the first time round when they misdiagnosed me. No, absolutely brilliant. And um, and some of those nurses, I I honestly I put them through hell on, on so, uh, certain occasions, or because I was particularly not very happy about this situation. You know, I've got enough medical problems without adding that to the top of it. And um, so I wasn't very happy. But they once they found an antibiotic that could basically kill this staph infection, um, I started to slowly recover, and. Um, then they eventually found a pill that would also help kill it. But that pill is for leprosy. 
So I'm on leprosy drugs now. I'm going to be on for a long, long time. I do not want, I kept saying, why am I on this leprosy pill? And they're going like, um, because it seems to be working. So, and it was, it was working. It was helping me. It was, but my liver has really struggled. Like I've had to stop taking the meds I'd normally take for, for my hands and that. Um, because my, I, I don't know if you've ever seen black pee. When I was peeing, it was black. And it was my liver was struggling so much. I had to offshoot some of my pills I'd normally take. And that has helped a lot, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I slowly started um, getting better and better and better. And um, I will say something in the NHS, um, the nurses, they never seem like they go home. They work such long hours. You know, they, they'll do a 12-hour shift. And then you'll go sleep and they're up eight hours later, they're back again. So they've gone home, cooked dinner, done everything, they're back on another shift. And they are massively overworked. So it's true. And yeah, and I'll be honest, there wasn't a lot of woke nurses there. They were all quite based, you know. And um, they were not like, um, you know, you see those militant NHS, NHS people out on the picket lines. They were not like that at all. They were they were really good. And, you know, I had a right laugh with loads of them. And when I was in that hospital, there was quite a few extreme events. Like on one day we had uh, a machete man. So it was in all national papers. A machete man turned up that wanted to kill um, NHS staff. And then he, and he got away, escaped. Then in the evening he came back with a gun and the police caught him. They had to lock down the whole hospital, you know, you know, and and it was like it's pretty extreme and it's not like they've got enough to deal with as it is but they were absolutely brilliant but i you know i did see a few things that i'll get to later that i i totally disagree with but um yeah they were pretty pretty well, full on they were brilliant they're great at their job but what was what really annoyed me is i am waiting for my left left hip to be replaced but the staphylococcus took my right hip my good hip so I have to because now I have to go through another left hip operation. So I've lost my good hip, and um, but if it would have picked that one, it would have killed two birds with one stone. I'd have got my operation really quick. But um, that, yeah, it was, um, it was a hip, hell of an ex yeah, it was like a hell of an experience. But um, me, and because I was in a, a room on my own, and I like if I go into hospital, I like to be in the ward. Because it's like there's a lot of banter. You can laugh and joke with patients. And when people are sick, the majority of people like to have a laugh and a joke, you know. And even the nurses are pretty good. They've got a lot of banter, the nurses. You know, they have to deal with this all the time. And angry people or depressed. They have to, you know, they lift your spirits, you know. But, yeah, they uh, were let, absolutely brilliant. Let, but let me read never some ended of the, let, there. Paul, Paul, let me read you some of the messages. Take a breather for a minute. Uh, Holly says, just disgusting behavior. This is not a health service at all. This is about your first, not your second experience. Uh, Hidden Truth says, uh, I did this a good few years ago, and I had pneumothorax and stayed in overnight. Very painful. Um, as he says, this sounds dreadful. It also highlights just how one doctor can have detrimental effects on a patient's diagnosis and outcome. Uh, Sunday Girl says medical negligence, they do need suing. Uh, Mazzy agrees. Uh, Sunday Girl says, uh, well, she's saying hello to everybody. And one more, they should make a movie about all this. Poor guy's broken bones. It would have an awesome cast. That's Gold Eagle says that. Uh, and lots of other sympathy there. But Paul, let me just share with viewers here on today's News Talk TNT what you did. Uh, almost your darkest hour. I remember. I, I can tell you. 
Uh, I was speaking to you and you were an accident and emergency. I could tell that you were heavily drugged. And he said, I'll do your show. I'll do it from my hospital bed. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't think you were fine. But even then, you were willing to come on. I would have done it. And actually do the show. Uh, I was so impressed. I don't think you would have really been on your best form uh, from the sound of it. But with all Honestly, those broken bones, you funny moments in hospital. No, but you're being serious. But, yeah. you're, you're insisting that I you were going to come it. onto the show. I, I know, done but it. I would have done it. I, I, I would have done that, and I would have absolutely loved it because it would have been, uh, it would have been funny. You know, it would have been funny. But I, I did have other disastrous things that happened in there, which is totally Come incompetent. On. But you know, accidents happen. But I meant to just let all this go, like. I was taken down. They had to, because of the pain, they had to put an epidural into my back. Mm -hmm. But they drilled the hole too big and all my spinal fluid leaked out. Oh, no. And it was, it was, oh, and every, no. and I am in a catheter and all that. So I'm laying in bed and every time I fell asleep, I have to constantly drink water because it's, as it's leaking out, you have to replace the fluids. And my bed sheets had to be replaced all the time because obviously it kept puddling the water up around my back. And at first I thought it was my catheter leaking. And I'm like, God, what's, what's going on here? And, you know, the nurses oh. were getting pretty peed off with me constantly having my bed sheets changed. So I'm going, it's not me. It's not me. And then I had a, an examination. I looked over all my dressings and my wounds because I've got some mean scars now, some mean surgical scars. I've got one. Don't show them. It's evocative enough how you're describing honestly, them. So please don't show them to us. It was pretty horrible. But, um, yeah, and, um, yeah, so I had to wait a week for that to stop. And now I tell you, if you've never, if you ever lost your spinal fluid, I tell you, you've never had headaches like it. And on top of everything that's going on, it was horrendous. But then I got to the point where I could walk a little bit and I was on an, a, a Zimmer, basically. And I had a bathroom in my room. It was like a private room. And I looked at my body where they'd cut everything away. And it was like, it was like I've been bitten by a shark and part of my body taken away. It was like extreme liposuction on one side. It's all balancing out and going back to normal now, thank God. But I, when I first saw it, I was mortified, absolutely mortified. But, um, yeah, they said it would go back to normal, and they've pretty much been correct. So but, it's, um, a, it's been it's been quite a whole, it's been quite an adventure. This uh, Paul, uh, in your view, it sounds to me, if this is a correct summary, that. A misdiagnosis made a bad situation worse. But after that, they worked hard to fix you up and they seem to have done a good job of and that. They fixed me up. I'm not in the clear yet. I've got to wait six months to a year. So I've got to finish taking this medication. And there's a fear it can come back because all I have to miss is a tiny bit around your body. Remember, I had stuff in my blood. So it was running through my brain, it was running through everywhere. They've only got what they found, but we're hoping these drugs or anything that's left in my body will be cleared out. But there's a fear that when I stop taking them, boom, it can come back. So the thing is, I've got this thing that as soon as it happens, I must immediately call my doctors and go back into hospital. That's what they say. But I'm like, you're living in cloud cuckoo land. You can't immediately contact your doctor anymore. You can't do that. There's like, there's a portal you have to go into and you have to offer, put your request in. That takes ages. Then somebody said they'll arrange a time for them to ring you back. You don't, it's not immediate. 
So that I suppose that would be um, I'd, if that happened, I'd have to go to A and E and sit around all day. And and A and E's because now people can't get to their GP. A and E's are the new doctor surgery. So when you go into an A and E, it is packed with people with normal complaints that they shouldn't really be there. They should be at a GP having this sorted out. But uh, people right. don't realise how far the, the health service is. The health service totally collapsed. Last time, it's a disgrace. Yeah, uh, last time I was in A and E, I had a problem which got me referred there by my doctor. They were really helpful, actually. And I think that the NHS, the National Health Service, at its best in the United Kingdom, is really good. It also seems, as uh, I read to you from the chat, the uh, misdiagnosis at the beginning could have killed you. Yeah, and the thing is that that's very much that was that was the whole problem was the misdiagnosis at the beginning. So if they had diagnosed me correctly, they would have put me on antibiotics. They'd have seen my lung infection. None of it would have developed into developing like blood staph infection running around my body. It wouldn't we've never have got that far. So I was in hospital for like four weeks, and um, on top of that, in the room I was in. I kept saying, look, there's this, there's an alarm broken. And they said, no, that's the nurse's alarm. You're hearing outside. And what is either bleeper alarm? Every 20 seconds went bleep really loud. And that was all night. So I couldn't get any sleep. So in the end, I had to get start taking sleeping pills to help me sleep. And not even, it was so loud, not even that would work. And the, the machine that pushes all the drugs into my arm, because I was on machines, um, that was faulty as well. And the alarm kept going off. And I, I tell you, it was like I'd been on a escape and invasion course, got captured, and I was going through interrogation. It was the alarms were driving me nuts, absolutely it's nuts. A, and um, it actually, it reminds me of one of the was, scenes from a film called Born on the 4th of July, uh, when the main character is in hospital and they portray it in a really frightening way. And there's another film, which is a magnificent, though very dark film called Jacob's Ladder, where there's a, quite a surreal hospital scene. Uh, let me read you some of the messages coming in, Paul. Uh, Mazzi is saying, in terms of suing the NHS, it's not easy, especially if you're not flush with finance. Then get any lawyer to take it up. It's it's a roulette system, in my opinion, and experience. Uh, Sunday Girl adds it's horrific. Holly does say, tell me he's going to sue them, but... Uh, I know myself that that could be very difficult. Hemingway asks, is Paul's horrific account of the NHS available on iPlayer? Because I'm guessing uh, that the uh, the state news channel is all over it. I, I'm guessing that this is the exclusive, really, on DNT. Yeah, well, because I'm TNT, so TNT got it first. But I have been rung by MSN channels, obviously, but the ones I've been on before, and said, come and do it on there. But, you know... Sometimes whinging on about things is just not a good for your mental health all the time. You just got to push past them, I think. But I, I saw something when I was on the hospital my last day, and I want to highlight this. Now, I've got to say I only saw it once. and But it, I think it was extreme, and I was shocked by it. I had a nurse I'd never seen before come around administering drugs. And her English was, I didn't understand a word she was saying. So she's got a drugs trolley. So you have your computer screen on the top and they have drawers of drugs. And they prick up each patient and they read all the drugs they're getting. She couldn't read English. She was taking the drugs out of the packets, out of 
the drawer and she was matching them up to what it said on the screen. And then she'd turn around to me and say, this one? And I'd go, no. Well, she wasn't saying this one because she couldn't say this one. She was just going like that. And I'm going, no. And that was my last day. And I'm so glad that was my last day in there. But on top of that, on my last day, I'm going tomorrow. I'm thinking, thank God I'm out of here. This doctor comes flying into my room, the specialist, and said, Paul, Paul, uh, we've picked up an echo on your heart. I'm like, what? Oh, well, no. I said, that scan was ages ago. He goes, I know, but it's only just been brought up in a, brought up in a meeting. So I'm like, that's like, you've, that's three weeks and you're bringing it up now and I'm leaving tomorrow. He goes, I didn't realise you was leaving tomorrow. I'd like you to stay in longer. I'm like, oh, come on. I've just finished all my um, intravenous drugs. That was the whole, they said I'd leave at that point. Um, and he goes, no, so I had to delay my leaving um, to go then sent, sent to the current, the uh, heart department and um, have all these checks and scans. And I still haven't had the result of that. And I said that when you leave, you then have to contact your doctor. You need to have regular blood tests um, so we can check your um, your blood markers to make sure everything's going all right. So when I first got out of hospital, I convalesced in Margate. And I went to Margate Hospital when they were doing all that. But I'm getting, I'm back here now. I can't get hold of my GP to get these things sorted out. I mean, they let were me, meant let, to ring me for and they didn't ring. So let me read you I don't a, know what's uh, going on. Let, let me read you what just a bloke sent. Uh, Christmas 1999. Youngest daughter, just nine months old, completely lifeless. Any doctor wanted to send us home with Calpol. I refused his diagnosis and demanded to see a registrar, who then admitted her with meningitis. I thank myself almost every day for standing my ground that evening. Fast forward to 2007, and I almost died from an adrenaline overdose in A&E after collapsing. The doctor apologized, apologized for the actions of the nurse. I reminded him in no uncertain words that nurses administer only on the instructions of the doctor. The NHS has been in dire straits for many years. And uh, one more Sunday girl, a client of ours went in to have a pacemaker renewed, opened her up, realized the new one hadn't arrived. This is three weeks ago. So the, they stitched her up again. And she has to go back, had to go back the following week. This is what it has come to. So scary. Uh, uh, I want to talk with you just about what the solution to this is, if you think there is one in just a moment. But before we go to the break, how are you feeling now, Paul? I'm feeling a lot better, but it's still everything is still very painful. I mean, my ribs are, are improving, but God, it feels it feels like I've got stones wedged in between each one. It's not comfortable at all, and I'm st I still can't roll sleep on my side or anything like that. So it's um, it's really difficult. But um, it, I can I'm seeing improvement, but it's it's a long, slow improvement because um, I know it is quite the sur the surgery itself and all the flesh they cut away and the muscle and that that was um. Mm. It was pretty brutal. It was pretty brutal. Uh, Madrid says, I missed this discussion as I was in the shower, but my wife lost her father and eldest brother to NHS negligence in the last three years alone. And Holly says, I'd have demanded to find the first nurse and, and call her out. There's a lot of response to what you're saying, Paul. And... Uh, Madrid actually says I can't do doctors or hospitals anymore. I self-medicate. And uh, Lisa says, I feel sorry for the nurses. Not if they had all stood their ground together, there would have been more staff. 
and this is the question I'll come to after this, uh, after the break. What can we do about it? Is it the fault of the National Health Service or is it the fault of politicians who aren't necessarily giving enough money so that the NHS can do its job? Uh, do keep your calls and comments coming. It's a very interesting debate here and uh, it's pretty much continuous at the moment. Uh, this is the Lempitopic Show. This is today's News Talk TNT. See you in a few minutes. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The United States has really been sold a bill of goods. And I've talked about this several times. I've talked about the people that are running this country are literally bullying the United States. And it's hard to believe that the American people actually let them get away with it, except that if you watch, let's say, Jesse Waters' prime time sometimes, and you see the man on the street interviews, you realize these people, and they're all voting, know nothing about what's going on, or maybe even less than nothing if that's possible. Now, it's fascinating. We talked about the coal plant issue a couple of days ago. How have carbon emissions changed since 2000? China is up 208%. India is up 158%. Other countries are up 53%. The US is down 10%. Europe is down 16%. Now, here is the question. How is the United States letting these other countries get away with it? And it's kind of simple to understand that the complacency and comfort of the capitalist system and freedom that has developed in the United States is building the road it's riding to its own death. Why? Because they're allowing our leaders to simply do whatever they want to do while other countries get away with it. And you want to know something? I don't have anything against China and India for trying to improve their way of life. But why is it the United States and Europe are committing suicide? This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. Lembit Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. We're hearing a rather hair-raising story of near death uh, from my guest, Paul McGowan, who's normally here uh, socking it to the government and all of those establishment figures who tried to take away our freedom. Uh, today, he's describing what could have led to his demise. Uh, Paul, it's good that you're better. Let's look at the causes of this now, without naming names, because it's not, I think, seemly to implicate individuals who aren't here to defend themselves. Why do you think that misdiagnosis occurred? Was it a systemic problem or is, was it just a one-off mistake? Firstly, I'd like to say every nurse got the diagnosis right. They were correct. They said, oh, these are bad broken ribs. Every single one of them. It was obvious. It was obvious. Three doctors got it wrong. Two GPs and somebody in the A&E doctor. They got it wrong. The, it was a doctor in the A&E that sent me home. 
it was um and my gps two gps at my practice so the nurses were spot on because it was blatantly obvious it was blatantly obvious you can't have every rib broken multiple times in your sternum and missed i don't know how they misdiagnosed it but what i did see there is people are massively overworked massive they don't stop they really they are just that is we've got all these extra people to deal with and not just that we've got all these post jibby jabby there's a lot of excess deaths and medical problems heart attacks through the roof the hospitals the A&Es are really struggling I mean you've got ambulance waiting times once you're there and you've got to wait to get in from the ambulance and that's tying up ambulances from other things so you've got an ambulance sitting outside A&E it's there and they can't unload you from the ambulance until there's a space so if there's another somebody else there's another big accident or some sort of disaster the ambulance is stuck there you know so we've got a lot of basically i think the problem is how how it's ran i think there's a system that's wrong and there needs to be some sort of replacement something needs to go i mean it's not run by common sense you know i think there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of pressure to get people out of hospital you know i was surprised when i was in there for a month you know you you know to be in hospital for a month i mean i've been in hospital for two weeks before just a bit over 15 days but not a month i mean people going for cancer surgery they're not in there for a month they're in there for like a week and a half or something like that i mean you know i've spent a lot i've got you know i've got quite a few medical problems i've got to admit and in the last like 13 years 14 years i've probably spent an entire year of that in hospital and um so i've watched a lot of demise in the nhs but i yeah. i'm going to be honest i've been watching that since about the year 2000 yeah. mary doll asks again, worse and worse and worse yeah. mary doll asks uh, have you been jabbed with the covid vaccine do you think there's no. any effect oh you haven't okay no i'm not i'm not a, no i'm an anti i'm not an anti-vaxxer I'm anti-experimental vaccine being used on masses of people all at the same time around the world with 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 impunity, you know? I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and now I'm watching the narrative change upon that. I've seen some hilarious things later that if those doctors would have said that during the pandemic, you know, that they, they would have been um the doctors being vilified and having their careers ruined. I saw yeah. a, a, the, I saw the state sponsored British media covering an individual today about clotting now what's interesting about it is that very same state-sponsored media outlet kept trying to reassure everybody to take the jab and now they seem to be following the mood music <laughs> led yeah. i have to say by today's news talk tnt questioning the validity of what you've just very eruditely described as a mass scale vaccination experiment so you didn't have that jab in terms of remedy here, what do you think needs to happen? It sounds to me that resources wouldn't necessarily have changed the diagnosis that you had because you had a number of wrong diagnoses while the nurses knew what was wrong with you. I don't know what they can do because I don't know what the system actually is that's in place. I mean, I've never looked at any paperwork. I don't understand it. But all I all I know is it's absolute chaos in the hospitals. I mean, and one thing that has to change is 
people have got to stop using A&E as their doctor's surgery. But the doctors are putting in all these place, all these systems that are not really people friendly. They're very difficult to use. I mean, my doctor, they they opened up a, an app, and you basically go to the app and you log on your your appointment. But the app never works. And I only, only found out last Thursday or Friday that the app's been discontinued, and I've been going on it, sending them messages. But I was never told that. I just thought it was rubbish, just a rubbish app. And I was, but on top of that, you to bring a doctor and to wait on wait till you get to speak to somebody, you don't actually wait and get in a queue to speak to a doctor anymore. You wait to go and make an appointment for a phone appointment, and you are on the phone for at least an hour every time trying to do that. I mean, you can wait to eight o'clock in the morning to try and be the first caller through, and you get through and you're like number thirty-two in the queue, and you're like, that's an hour and a half, you know. Something has Are we to happen getting, because well, there's a problem some, here. Which, when I was a member of parliament, this this concern bothered me. Uh, when the NHS, when the National Health Service was originally set up, it was meant to essentially cure illness, but that's impossible. I came to realise that what the NHS does at its best is make us live longer, but we're still going to take a lot of NHS time. Not everybody, but a lot of people towards the end of our lives, because the longer you live the more likely you are to be ill and uh, the more likely you are to have a drain on the state. If we all live to the age of 200, the NHS just simply wouldn't be able to cope. So what is the solution to this, Paul? I don't, I don't know, but I'm not opposed to free point of use um, private companies in the NHS. I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, what I am, what I would like to say, which people forget, the NHS isn't free. We pay a lot of money for it in our taxes. It's not free. Now, I used to have private health care um, before, before I retired, because I'm sort of retired now. I do these shows for, for my hobby, if you like. But um, I had private health care. I had Booper Gold. It was £28 a month. It wasn't expensive, you know. The trouble is I never used to use it because I was never ill when I was younger. But when I retired, then I did start. I needed, a, you know, I had an unlucky break and I needed to use healthcare. That wasn't there. And for me to get that back now, with I've got a lot of health problems, for me to get that back um, won't be £28 a month. It will be a huge amount of money. Even like travel insurance, if I want to get travel insurance, that's going to cost me a bomb, you know. Marty says, uh, and I'm, quote, I'm quoting from the TNT Radio.Live chat, I was age 10 and I lost ligaments in knees, uh, ACL cartilage. It took the NHS 30 years later to diagnose that I was pushed from pillar to post. Uh, I got notes 20 years later to find out the GP had put abusive comments on the notes in 1980. Uh, and maybe that was detrimental to my mobility. Uh, I was in my early 30s when I got this diagnosed before I'd be struggling like hell with semi and full dislocations. Interesting. Now, I have to tell you that both my children were born in the NHS system and there were complications in both cases. And maybe they should have spotted something in, on one of those occasions, but fair play, they delivered both the children safely. But what you're describing does sound to me like the one that got away. Well, I think what you've got with NHS hospitals, depending on the demand, you'll get a better or a worse hospital. 
I mean, the hospital I was in, which is Bath IUH, that was crammed packed. That was cram packed. And if you had even doubled the amount of staff, and that, that hospital employs over 5,000 people a day, if you would have doubled the amount of staff, they would have still been working their ass off nonstop. I mean, mm. that is, they're under a lot of pressure. And um, that job's getting harder and harder as years go on. And, you know, you see a lot of nurses like um, in tears, you know, because they're stressed. Mm. They're um, trying to hold it together. They're, they're multitasking, which um, multitasking is not, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing in hospitals. I mean, just concentrate on getting the one job you do right each time you're working on it. But, I mean, our massive population explosion in Britain, that is definitely playing a massive part. But mm. um, also, there's a lot of young people in hospital now and I've, I've noticed that over the years. I mean, I've got really bad arthritis and basically I've got that because I did sport when I was into a, when I was, I did it for far too long, basically. I've got like military um, injury that gives me chip all the time. Everything's got arthritis all over me. I'm going into, when I have to go and see people for injections every now and then, um, I'll see it in that weight rating room and there's like, 30 year old men in there with chronic arthritis i'm like what what how what how when did that happen see when when i was when i was in the like in the 80s when i had an accident when i was in the military i'd go in there and anyone apart from the people that had an accident the people that was in these clinics were general gen, you know generally a much older people but now there's a, a hell of a lot of young people in hospital and i don't know what's going on now, this could be something in our diet today, how we live. I mean, I know modern diet is absolutely terrible, but um, you will see a lot of obesity in hospital. And I think, I think the diet is a massive part of it. I also think it's very possible there's many other factors. And I, I don't want to ramble on about them, but I mean, um, well, that, everyone's got that their suspicions and all sorts that, of things. Let, let me read a couple more messages. You, you've certainly got a very live debate going here, Paul. Uh, Mary Doll asks, Paul, ask for the district nurse or the practice nurse to assess you and set up a care plan for you regarding bloods, blood pressure, checks and so forth. And Hemingway says, and now the government have announced they're going to allow dentists from abroad to work in England without taking an exam to check their education and language skills in order to address the severe shortage of NHS dentists. They need to listen to this TNT show. I think you're making a good point there, Hemingway. Uh, and Holly says, as the cholesterol test, just an excuse for more drugs. Uh, yes, well, that's an interesting point. There are some arguments. I've had an interesting debate about fat, actually, and, and actually about salt. Uh, and the suggestion is that it's not necessarily bad for you, as we're told, but I'm not a doctor, so don't take that as professional guidance. Uh, looking ahead now, uh, well, one more from Sunday Girl. In my opinion, it's the fault of pharma. They push the drugs. The staff are indoctrinated and told not to question anything. The public has been brainwashed into thinking there's a pill to fix everything. This is years of brainwashing, dumbing down, and the industrial medical industry sits back and rubs its hands together you need to get back to natural that's medicine totally and self-work uh, well spot on. yeah that's true with, that's with, true we, that we true. now know with with the covid uh fiasco 
the reality is that uh, hundreds of millions of pounds were made and uh, there's at least one person in the House of Lords who's who has been rather compromised by this and made a rather strange interview where she said that even though her husband had made millions, she wasn't really going to benefit herself. Uh, so looking ahead then, if you were the Secretary of State in charge of health, what would you do? Well, I, I hate it when um, politicians say we're going to have an investigation and a review of the situation because those things tend to take years upon years upon years and they tend to like cover up a lot of stuff. I mean, like the COVID investigation. What? How? How pointless was that? You know, it's um, I don't I don't know, but the the system has to be looked upon, and it needs. To, I think you've just got to have. We need some really quick action. I, I mean, I, I think the first thing which happen is look, first of all, doctors do not work for the NHS. They're all private people. So when you see your GP, that's a private GP you're going to see, and they take an NS, they take money off the NHS. Um, I, I think, I think we have to go back to a, an old GP system where you. I can remember. When I was little, I had like a sore throat and my mum telling me, I can't remember if it was on the way to school or on the way back, she told me to pop into the doctors and ask the doctors to look at my throat. And I did it. And I remember him getting the big lollipop stick, sticking it down my throat and going, you'll be fine. Go on, Paul, like that. Mm. And you had a personal relationship with your GP mm. and you knew them. And they were like, part. they were almost like your family GP. Everyone went to it. Now it's just now it's just chaos. You don't know who you're going to speak to. They don't know your history. They 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 the, your notes flash up on screen. But if you've got a long, complex medical history like myself, they're not. This pages and pages long. I mean, they're not going to read for all that before an appointment. You we need to get back to some sort of, you know, you need to trust your GP. You need to have some sort of familiarity there. You need to have some sort of relationship with them. You're not. It, it's totally broken the system now. But I think starting with GPs. Where are we going now? It's just, it's just not good, you know. Uh, Paul, I know that this has been a very fascinating hour. We've talked about your medicine. I meant to go into finding out what you think about the state of the world, because this is your first time back after quite a traumatic experience. I'm not sure if you're willing to stay with us just for a little bit longer after the break. Would that be okay? Because oh, yeah. I want to ask you yeah. about what you think is going on in in British politics next beyond uh, the health service. Uh, I think I'm speaking for all our viewers that we're very glad to have you back. Uh, it's a tremendously evocative and descriptive story that you've told us about your personal journey through the NHS. My general experience of the NHS has been positive. I do feel that yours was kicked off by a bad initial diagnosis that could have killed you. And yet, as you say yourself, the pressures from outside the NHS could be in part responsible for the problems. And this mad dash to try to get uh, inward uh, relocation from abroad of doctors who may and, and dentists now who may not necessarily be familiar with our language as well, uh, may exacerbate the problem. They may have the skills, but without communication, medicine becomes very difficult. Stay with us. Uh, we're talking with Paul McGowan after the break. I want to talk with Paul a little bit about what's been going on in politics while he's been resting up and getting better. Uh, also, thank you. Keep your calls and comments coming. Uh, so many of you have had uh, experiences, relatable experiences, not unlike what's happened to Paul. 
uh, I think that Paul's is a test case of something that uh, we hope to all avoid but happened to him. Uh, yes, we'll be talking with Paul about politics after the break. Uh, this is the Lambertopic Show. This is TNT. See you in a moment. Mm-hmm.